Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Let Tend Dental make your dream smile a reality. We offer a variety of top-rated treatments, including Invisalign aligners. And for a limited time, Tend is offering $750 off orthodontic treatments. Offer valid through January 31st, so don't wait. Visit hellotend.com slash sale. That's hellotend.com slash sale. And book your free consult today. Hey everybody, this is Richard Deitch and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producer is Patrick Antonetti. Two guests this week, two really interesting conversations. First up, Apple MLS lead analyst Taylor Twelman. We get into the media impact, actually as well as the on-field impact of Lionel Messi coming to MLS. A massive, massive story, global support story. And Taylor gets into pretty much, or we get into, I should say, pretty much everything you would uh, want to discuss on that specifically that sort of relates to media. And it is a major, massive media story, particularly with that Apple MLS uh, combination. He is followed by John Lewis, the Sports Media Watch founder and editor. And we take a uh, a deep look at the uh, Stanley Cup final viewership, NBA finals viewership, what what we made of each of those numbers. And then uh, John and I do quick, uh, a little quick one on uh, Messi and uh, and MLS and impact. So Taylor Twelman to start, John Lewis of Sports Media Watch to finish, coming up on the Sports Media Podcast. All right, I'm excited to bring on my next guest. Um, he's been on this podcast before. If you are a soccer fan in the United States, he is certainly a voice and a face you are familiar with. He is Taylor Twelman, Apple slash MLS's lead analyst. So if you have um, if you have your subscription to Apple when it comes to MLS, you're obviously familiar with Taylor's voice. Beyond that, um, one of the preeminent soccer voices in the United States had a very, very long run with ESPN and also played in MLS. And I'm pleased to be joined by Taylor Twelman. Taylor, welcome back. What's up, buddy? How are you, dude? How are you? I'm good. I'm good. What do you want to talk about? Anything important going on right now? Yeah, let's talk about uh, the Cincinnati Reds. I mean, they really <laughs> seem like they're on a roll. Taylor, I don't know how you did it. I know you worked very hard behind the scenes, but you were able to bring Leo Messi over <laughs> to America. So no one else, just you, Taylor. Yeah, just me. I'm sure uh, he really listened to what I had to say. All right. No, but in all seriousness, we when you came on, um, this podcast before MLS started, 
with um, Daniel Slayton and Marcelo Balboa. And we sort of just kicked around like, okay, what would Messi coming here mean? And like you, I mean, all three of you were like, it's game changing. But I think you more than anyone else were like, this really could be like one of the biggest sports stories of any year. Now, as we reconnect here in the middle of June, it's actually reality. The guy is coming. Um, it's an incredible moment for obviously domestic soccer in the United States. Um, for and you can go as long as you want. What do you, what what does this mean? What do you think this means? It's massive, Richard. When you think about it, when you asked me that before the MLS season started, in the back of my mind, and I didn't say this on the podcast, but in the back of my mind, I thought he would come after Copa America in twenty twenty four. I just did, because the moment I had heard four hundred million dollars net for twelve months to play in Saudi Arabia, that's money that your kids' kids now are taking care of, right? So that's generational money, and I just felt like, listen, I get the heartstrings for Messi. We're pulling them towards Barcelona, but when I heard that number, and then it got all the way up to one point six million net over three years, I'm like, I don't know if it's going to happen. I'm on the record. I will stay on the record. This is going to be bigger than Pelé with the Cosmos. And here's why. Pelé for the Cosmos, and, and that includes Beckenbauer, that includes Canalia, it introduced soccer to North America. And for the end, any of your listeners that are going to come at me and say, well, soccer was in the United States before that. That's not what I'm saying. He introduced stardom. He introduced football soccer at the highest of levels. He was the biggest athlete in the world at the time. Muhammad Ali, you could maybe argue, was up, uh, up against that. But there was nobody else that was in that conversation. And so when Pelé said, I'm going to go to New York, he introduced this country and this continent to a whole different avenue of what soccer was. However, Richard, they couldn't take advantage of it. They had no idea. There was no infrastructure. There was no idea of how to man manifest that energy and turn it into a league. The NASL, which my father played in in 10 years, I was born during that league when the Cosmos were at their peak. It folded within five, six years after he left. And so what I'm saying now is you look at where MLS is with the stadiums, the infrastructure, the fact that David Beckham in 2007 came here, changed the league. Now he's the owner that signs Lionel Messi. I find the irony in that significant, the fact that I think Messi's going to take the league to another level. I think there's going to be more money spent on salaries, Richard. I think there's going to be eyeballs on this league that they would have never had. And I just think with the infrastructure that is here, but more so in 2023 with social media, the fact that you and I can watch any soccer game in the world with streaming and the access, and I would say exposure to the game, everyone now that loves Messi, which by the way is tens of millions of people, they're now going to be tuning into a league they more than likely haven't watched. They're going to see a country that they more than likely haven't seen anything. And then you couple that with Messi playing in Copa America 2024 in the United States. And then the World Cup in 26 in the United States, Canada, Mexico. Richard, I, I don't think it's that big of a take. I think he's going to do more than what Pelé did here in the 70s. So let me put, let me just push back. I, I by the way, I agree with you. I, I, I tend to agree with most of your argument um, and everything you said. Obviously, is factual. There's no comparison between the infrastructures. Here's like my only pushback on this. Unquestionably, um, there is more of everything that Messi can touch in terms of soccer in the U.S. Social media. You mentioned the infrastructure, etc. The one thing about Pelé, though, Taylor, 
is that when he came here, he came here in a much smaller media universe. Mm -hmm. So if he appeared on like ABC, like that, that there could be millions of people watching him in some random game where he's playing like the Vancouver yep. Whitecaps. Yep. He, he, you could argue that he would feel bigger because he was competing against a smaller universe. The thing that Messi, if you want to just sort of use him in media terms, has to compete against, you know this, he has to compete against everybody. Mm -hmm. He has to compete against all sports, all this now scripted television, streaming, etc. And the reality is a lot of your games, you work for these guys, is still behind a paywall. So while he's, in, he's absolutely a... Um, how do I say this? The media component of it is so much potentially larger because there's so many things. You can definitely make the argument, Taylor, that it's Pele had less to, um, how do I sort of say this? There were less things in the way for just the average person to see Pele and to consume him. You buy that? Great observation. Uh, my rebuttal to that is you and I are talking on the same day that CBS released their figures for the Champions League final on English television. Under 3 million, right? Liga MX, final, 60 million people watched it in the United States and Mexico. Lionel Messi is going to tap into that world that Major League Soccer has not been able to find their, their footprint in that. And every single time Messi's talked about leading into the World Cup in 2026, Richard, they're going to have to say, inner Miami, Major League Soccer, forward midfielder Lionel Messi. So the impact is very difficult for me to quantify. He's got to go up against the NFL, the NBA, all of that now in the media world. You hit the nail on the head. It is exponentially different than what Pelé had to do. The NFL was nothing compared to what it is now. However, the English plus the Spanish Latino side of things, I think multiplies this into the hundreds, into the thousands, that's very difficult for me being an English side analyst, but also seeing the numbers. Richard, that's hard to quantify. And I think on the backs of Apple and Adidas and a few other corporate sponsors that are going to be named in, in a later time, now that Messi's going to be playing in North America and in the United States, I just think on the backs of that, he may transcend that a little bit more than what you and I are expecting in the middle of June. And no doubt that globally, uh, the access to the guy, that, that is where it doesn't compare. Like in 1977, yeah. <laughs> you could not have an Argentine or someone from England like view NASL games. Like you just, you couldn't get it. Like it was, today, you can get Apple no matter where you live. And I think that that's the interesting part of this. Um, based on form, Taylor, you know, like mm -hmm. the last time, um, the last time most of us saw Messi might have been the World Cup. I don't know how many people have seen PSG. Uh, you probably have, as yep. obviously a diehard. Like, realistically, what, what's realistic for him when he comes to this league in terms of form? Uh, Inter is at the bottom of the table. I mean, you can't ask the guy to be a miracle worker. But, like, what, what, kind, of, what, what kind of player is he in this league, from your perspective? Well, the, it, it's a, it, I like the fact that you asked the question because – you look at his age and you see 35, soon to be 36, and right away you're saying he's retiring. And yet, six months ago, he won the World Cup, and he's the only player, according to the stats that I looked at before you and I are started to talk, he's the only player in the top five leagues in the world today to have 20-plus goals, 20 assists in the recent campaign. So he's still operating at a high level. Now, you and I can always agree and will agree 
PSG is playing in a French league that is exponentially different than the Premier League, Bundesliga, and La Liga, right? So, okay, fine. There, there's an influx of that. He still won the World Cup. All that matters from Inter-Miami's perspective, Richard, is that they build a team to allow him to succeed. The team that you and I are going to see in July, August, September, and October is going to be so different January 1 because Inter-Miami is still fulfilling their penalties and their roster issues from two years ago. And so that ends on December 31st, 2023. So I will assess Inter-Miami and Messi starting January 1, 2024. I will enjoy the experiment, but more so if I'm Inter-Miami, I want him as soon as possible to get here, play games, but more so tell us what he's experiencing. Tell us what he's seeing. Tell us what he feels. Because I can tell you this, Thierry Henry, Zlatan Ibrahimovic, Didier Drogba, uh, Steven Gerrard, Frank Lampard, Robbie Keane, they all told me after six months of being here, holy crap, this is a different league. It's way more athletic. It's way more played at a pace that they didn't expect. you got to have your legs in it. And so while they might not have been at 100% of where they were legs-wise, their teams were built around that. And the teams that didn't do that, Richard, they struggled. Inter-Miami know this, but so does Lionel Messi. He's got an Argentine teammate playing in Atlanta that's going to be sold for $35 million plus in Tiago Amada. This league's younger. It's more dynamic. It's way different than when Beckham came here, and quite honestly, when Zlatan came here. So I think it's important that Messi comes here in 2023, and more so the viewers, allow him to grow into it, and then tell me 2024, 25, and 26. That's when Inter-Miami could really hit their stride, but more so, I think MLS is going to hit their stride, because I think they may grow a little bit with some spending regulations and different rules that allows Inter-Miami and Messi to be a juggernaut. So what... um if you're looking starting in January January first, twenty twenty four, like what's realistic to put around this guy? You you know the salary cap structure better than me, so yep. it, they can't be they can't be Man City and just bring in like obviously the seven best players in the world next to him. That said, like do they have to go out and get another um, you know like significant piece? to play next to him. You know, in the way Toronto got two Italian guys who were legitimate um, Syria A stars, like, do you have to get another guy to put next to Messi to at least start the process? Yeah, I mean, Jorge Mas and his family have to literally exhaust every spending option that you can. And so 3DPs, for the listeners that aren't aware of what the league rules are, designated players, DPs, you can get three of them. You can do whatever you want with them. Okay. Now, if one of them's under a certain age, you get more salary cap relief doing that. And they, in the league, did that over recent time to make this league, honestly, on the world market, more exciting. So then people are selling players. There was a Colombian player for Sh- Chicago Fire, Duran, that was sold for 16 million. He was here for eight months, nine months. So the league's now a bigger player on the world market. For Lionel Messi, Jorge Mas and his family, you got to go get DPs. You got to go get the other ways you can sign players, but you got to make sure you're younger than what you would think. And I guarantee you, Richard, the moment Messi plays four or five games, he will be honest enough and say, wow, wow. Now, listen, Miami has their two best midfielders right now on injured reserve. They have potential coming back in six to seven weeks from the time you and I are talking. 
The players like that, 24, 25, 26, that are legit, that don't cost you an arm and a leg, that's where you build it. And in my opinion, I would allow the special players to be messy. Now, I think Busquets comes from his time at Barcelona. All the rumors are that he's going to come. But that's a position that Busquets is going to find very difficult to play because he's a defensive midfielder. This league is different. And so now if you have Busquets and you've already agreed to that, you got to be young and dynamic. But you got messy, Richard. So go out and get another big name if you want that still has some gas left in the tank and see where it takes you as long as you fill in the other gaps around him. Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives we're consumed by all the what if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun if you're like us then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass or play call each week on alternate routes we'll take a flashpoint in sports break down what actually happened then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused follow alternate routes on the wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts you can listen early and ad free right now by joining wondery plus all right, let's talk about sort of the purpose of this podcast, and that's media. Um, if you were in charge of this sort of messy era, Taylor, so essentially I'm putting yep, you in yep. your management, in your boss's position. I'm giving you a promotion. Congratulations. God, God help them. Yes. So how would you approach this in terms of um, is there a way to make every – How do you, I, I guess to me – what I would want to do is like there's there's ultimately going to be a shelf life on how many games Messi plays. Like whatever it is, you know, he's 30. Yeah. He's not 25, he's mm-hmm. he's 35. And so mm-hmm. you want to maximize every single time like he's on airwaves, right? So yes. how do you do that? If you're Apple, obviously, you definitely want people to buy subscriptions. So you're not giving this stuff away to over the air television. At the same time, like maybe there's creative ways where occasionally you can get Messi on over the air. So how do you approach it? And the other thing, and um, it might have been Andrew Marshall, actually, in the New York Post who mentioned this. Like, do you change the schedule where you make Miami, like, in its own window? So you allow people to be able to watch Messi individually and then watch the other games. I don't know. That's probably competitively, maybe that can't work, but... I'm just giving you the. Floor. Oh no! I think it all. I think it's all on the table. I'm giving you the. Fr- so, I'm giving yeah. you the uh, floor to just be free form. Give me some of the different things you've thought about to sort of really highlight and get the most out of this. I, I think pressure pressure is privilege, in my opinion. So I'm going to start there. So the fact that Messi's coming here, if you're Apple TV, if you're Major League Soccer, and you're all the corporate sponsors, there's an unbelievable amount of privilege here to broadcast and showcase what this league is, and what this league can be with a player of this caliber. And so when you start with that, then the umbrella encompasses everything. From a media perspective, you have to make sure you you capture everything going on in the building. Richard, there is going to be a red carpet at this at these games that this league's never seen. And they had David Beckham. David Beckham was TMZ, but this is everybody and then some. That first game in Miami, you're talking the Tom Brady's of the world. If Neymar's available, if Jimmy Butler, LeBron James, they're all going to want to be there, right? 
So how do you show that? You've got to show that because in the 107 countries that Apple TV is going to be in with no blackouts, you want to showcase the league. You want to showcase why you paid two and a half billion dollars over 10 years for something that you believe is going to grow after the World Cup comes here in 2026. And so is that pregames? Is that everything's on the road? The schedule, Richard, all of that is on the table. I don't know that answer right now when you're talking to me, because what I don't understand and still don't fully grasp is what I just said globally. So if you're going to play Messi and you want Messi to encompass the global picture, then time zones becomes a huge part of that. Saturday at 7.30 Eastern time, Richard, I, I'm not going to do the math, but you know what that means in Spain and what that means in other countries. So that becomes difficult. So does that mean he plays and in Miami play different? Now you're changing the competitive nature of the game. I think MLS is looking at everything as they should. That's not going to change in 2023. But I think start of 2024, I think Apple and MLS are really going to have to come together and say, how do we showcase the world? We maximize the subscription part, but we also use this as a vehicle to really showcase. Richard, you've heard me say it a number of times. The last 10 years, this league is unlike anything anyone thought it would be. You got to use Messi to show that to the world because there are going to be eyeballs on it that would have never been there. And I think that's pregames, that's postgames, that's interviews, that's red carpets, that's more cameras. It's all of that in, in a nutshell. I just don't know what that answer is because I'm thinking American and only American. And this is a global brand now with Apple TV and MLS. So does time zones change the when, when Messi can play games? That's yeah, a great point. One thing they should do, and I'm sure they're – they're thinking about it or planning it is you ever see how formula one does the walk before a formula yes. one race. Yeah. They should do that with messy games where you walk through the crowd and talk to all the celebrities, even if it's like a minute, that's the kind of stuff. That, I mean, yeah, I mean, Richard, watch. think about it. There's going to be so many influential people in yes. the social world that are now going to experience inner Miami against whoever they're playing. It is an unbelievable amount of, uh, uh, of excitement. I think, and honestly, opportunity is the perfect word to grow this thing very quickly. Have you um, have the broadcasters been told yet, like who will do the first couple games? Like, I'm sure you like you really want to do it. But have you heard from your bosses yet to be like, Taylor, whenever this guy's first couple games is going to be there, you're going to no, be but it's not definitive. But I'd be shocked if I'm not there from the conversations and the fact that I'm not booking flights starting January 5th. Uh, sorry, July 15th. So I have I have stopped booking travel due to that. And until MLS and Apple understand when Messi's going to come, then I am. So I'll be shocked if I'm not there. So I, I'm pretty confident in saying that I'll be doing the Messi games. How Taking in this big picture, how has the broadcasting experience been for you so far? Because this was, in many ways, for you... Um, I don't yeah. know if I want to call it a leap of faith. Because, like, listen, you know, you, 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 you're being paid well. We all are in these 1% jobs. Um, but, you know, you did leave the most well-known brand mm -hmm. in the United States for a project that is very, very early in its infancy. And so as we talk now um, in June, um, what has the broadcast experience been like for you? I mean, Richard, it was a leap of faith. I don't think you're wrong in saying that. I just know how strong my faith is in this league and in where it's going. I also had a real good feeling that with the World Cup coming here, the fact that when David Beckham got the team, Messi sent a video right away. And so I just felt like there was going to be one of these moments coming and I wanted to be a part of it. And so I'm grateful that Apple, as a partner of Major League Soccer, said, let's do this and let's go after it. 
in saying that, Rome wasn't built in a day, Richard. This is a project that is an 18-month project to set up that Major League Soccer and their partners did it in less than six months. And so anyone that is listening to this needs to fully understand the kind of project that they did put together, get the games on, all of that. I love doing games at nighttime, Richard. One of the biggest struggles that I had with ESPN and the programming that came with that was doing games at 2.30, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Games under the lights, this league is different. It is ruthless. It is loud. There is an energy that is hard to compare with other sports. You know how diehard St. Louis in me, I grew up there for a majority of my life. I got Cardinal fans telling me they're giving up their tickets Saturday night. They want to go to St. Louis City. They're losing season tickets to go to St. Louis City. It's those kinds of experiences and faith that I have. The broadcasting part, we've got to grow. We've got to expand on it. We've got to give the viewer a little bit more of a bite of the apple at each venue to see what they have. But the fact that Saturday night for five hours, and I think this eventually is going to change. I think the league's going to understand it and grow, and it's going to be a more of a weekend thing. Richard, it's been a lot of fun for me to, I think, see what I believe in, and that's Saturday nights because I haven't had, over the last five, six years, a ton of night games. And when I've had those, whether it's been John Champion, Ian Dark, whoever it may be, we look at each other, we're like, this is what should be broadcast to the world because this is a different animal versus the day games. Taylor, for you, it might not really be an issue because, you know, you've been in broadcasting for a while. You got to experience uh, calling soccer at the highest levels on mm-hmm. ESPN. But the reality is, like, for a given MLS game, there would be m- less people watching you than th- mm-hmm. that, th- for sure, perhaps infinitely less people at the moment than would have at ESPN. Um, has that been challenging for you to deal with in that the call is still the same, the preparation is still the same, being there, the enthusiasm is still the same, but the reality is just it's going to be less people on aggregate who see your work. Yeah, the only thing is, Richard, this is it's in 107 countries. And so when we're to, when I've heard the viewers and the numbers and certain things of that avenue, it is a little surprising to hear the numbers and you're kind of like, wow, that's pretty good. And then you realize, wait a minute, this is global. So my call has actually been very similar, but more so, I think, understanding that I'm now giving the viewer that doesn't maybe know who I've what I've done for the last 13 years at ESPN, and now I've got to globally talk about what Major League Soccer is. It's never talking down to the viewer, but it's more so of being something that I would take for granted, I need to understand the viewer may not know anything I'm talking about. And so when I do go in depth on something, Richard, this has been part of, I would say the one thing I've learned this year is I now got to, it's, it's almost rejuvenated me and refreshed me on major league soccer and explaining the league and selling the game because we've got viewers from all over the world that maybe wouldn't have watched me on ESPN. I've never done a game based on the viewers. I've done the game whether or not I'm into the game. And if I'm into the game, the viewer knows that. Um, So I've never really thought about that. But it is a, it's still emotional at times when I'm not on the sports centers, the get ups, and the other, I would say, ancillary programming that helps grow the league and grow the sport faster than anything else. I think that's been the hardest part for me on a personal level. And also having a bunch of ESPN friends reach out to me going, can you believe he's coming? And I'm like, I know, let's do 6 o'clock 
Yeah. Okay. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. By the way, I, he's not going to do this, but you know, if you see Eddie Q in the hallways, tell him to release the data. Taylor, let's 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 see. I'll text him right are. now. Hold on. Yeah. Let's see what the numbers really are. Um. All right. So you know, you brought up something that I was going to bring up, and I'm glad you did. Um. If you were at ESPN, I would have a lot of faith that whether it's SportsCenter uh, and all their ancillary program that you mentioned, the get-ups, the first takes, you know, eventually the McAfee show, et cetera. Like, I think you would be in place where you'd come on and you talk about Messi mm-hmm. and you talk about this impact. One of the, you, I remember you told me, so one thing that I really remember from our podcast that we did a couple months ago where you said, I think I asked you, what makes you confident that ESPN is going to still talk about this stuff and you said they're going to be forced to talk about it. They cannot avoid it if Messi comes. Now we actually have it. Messi is here. It will be coming. And so does your faith still remain as we get to um, uh, whenever he comes, you know, whenever that date he, mm-hmm. he first plays and we know he's landed and he plays. Do you have confidence? Are you confident that a place like ESPN like this will be part of their daily talk. They don't have the rights anymore to this stuff, basically. So it's not their property. They don't have to promote it. But you were really confident that this would happen. Does your confidence still remain that they're going to talk about it? Yeah, six o'clock sports center, one thousand percent will talk about it. Scott Van Pelt will one thousand percent talking about it. Now, Stephen A. Smith and First Take won't. I mean, you saw. I mean, the the way they reacted when someone suggested the New York Rangers were the best option for New York and they've got the NHL rights and Stephen A. Smith laughed it off. First take is it's it's its own animal. It's its own entity. They're not going to talk about Messi. And if they do, they're going to compare it to when LeBron said he was going to go to the Miami Heat. And then the viewers are going to be left questioning what what the heck's going on. In all seriousness, no, the Kevin Nagandis, the L Duncans, that Manny Delafay, the six o'clock sports center, they one thousand percent will talk about Messi when it is part of the vernacular of the sports world. Scott Van Pelt with Stanford Steve, they will 1,000% do it. I think the nightly sports centers will show it and do it to the best of their ability. Will they do it any different than when I was there? Honestly, Richard, I don't know. They may not have someone to talk about it for 90 seconds to two minutes or whatever, but they're still it's still going to be part of the show. I would be shocked if it's not. Burke Magnus wouldn't allow that to happen. But they've got to be kicking themselves a little bit that they didn't be a part of the project that MLS had with Apple to now have the four years going into the World Cup. Yeah, that no, changed, was the they, hardest Messi, thing me- for me to to me to come to grips with. Me- Messi changes everything. It makes the whole product different. It, it's just it it game changes it game changes everything in terms of how you think about. Um, how you think about the league, you know, in the same way this, you know, this sometimes happens in Europe when Ronaldo went to Juve, like you thought differently about that league. That's just what these mega stars, um, you know, what it's, it's, it's like the impact that they have. Um, all right. A couple more things here. My thought Taylor, and you know, I'll be really curious to see what my own place, the athletic does. Mm -hmm. I think you would be insane not to assign a reporter to cover inter Miami. Like literally like that, the way that your old place like assigned yes. like Tebow watch yes. or LeBron watch, I think you're insane not to do it. Do you think this is going to happen? Whether I, whether me and you I, agree on it is one thing. Do you actually think it'll happen is the other? I do because I think the opportunity is too big there to turn it down. I mean, you've seen what Dave McManaman's done. Fantastic job 
with ESPN, and he's basically followed the Lakers and LeBron and, and what Brian Windhorst did with the Cavs. You have to do this. And so the Athletic or any other entity 1,000% has to look at this and say, wait a minute, the daily content, Messi grew into Miami's Instagram account to now the top five biggest sports brand in America in the blink of a week, Richard. A I know, week. and he killed PS, and he dropped PSG's Instagram. Did you say <laughs> exactly? <see? laughs> so, like, if you're the Athletic, New York Times, I don't care who you are. ESPN, ESPN FC is a real brand. How do you not send someone on the messy beat? You got to have it. I will be stunned if they don't. So you you would know this better than me because I I've never covered um, European soccer or global soccer outside of the United States. Um, what what kind of access is like realistic to Messi? Like, would he talk after every game? I know one on ones are not happening. I, I know the world of that caliber of star. Like, if you ever do get a one on one, it's almost always because they're promoting a product, and in many ways, it's almost more PR than a journalistic enterprise. But like, realistically, like, would he speak after every game, or would he speak before games? Like, what what's realistic? Like, in terms of access, do you think? Well, if LeBron James and Tom Brady do their side, I mean, LeBron James gives ABC, ESPN, and Turner access every single time he plays. If LeBron James says yes, then then I don't care about Messi should say yes to this. Apple's got the documentary deal with them. I'd be stunned if they haven't had this conversation. Now. The access that you and I are talking about, one-on-ones and sit-downs for 30 minutes a day, everyone around the world is going to be coming to Miami and asking for that access. I think that's going to be really tight. But after games, I'd be stunned if Apple TV and MLS do not have them at least speaking in Spanish that is then translated so he's comfortable. He does speak a little English, but if he's not comfortable, it doesn't matter you get him speaking after games. You get him on camera. I'll be stunned if it doesn't happen. Again, Tom Brady, LeBron James, they do it all the time when they're on. Then then Lionel Messi has to do it. I saw the doc with uh, Maradona, the yeah. great doc, a couple of years yeah. ago. And even when he, yeah. you know, this is, we're talking, whatever, 30 years ago, even at Napoli, he did he did press after games. So, yep. like, there is a yep. format to... Uh, to doing it, that. It, it also helps, Richard, to your point to that. And I'm glad you used Diego Maradona's it, that thing. It's the fact that Apple's got the relationship already set up for his documentary. So more than likely, those audios and those microphones that are picking up everything, it's going to be part of the documentary. So at least it's not a third entity, a fourth entity trying to do this all at the same time. Apple can then run the show and just be like, yeah, this is how we're providing it. This is what we're going to give it. Now, in saying that, Apple's never done this before, right? So they've never done a sport. Now, listen, Otani, Mike Trout, I get what Major League Baseball is, but it's just a game Friday night doubleheader that Apple TV does. This is a completely different animal. So I'm, I'm assuming there's going to be some growing pains as they try to manufacture this. Yeah, and again, like this is where you just can't compare Messi to almost anybody in the world. The, the only comparison, like I think, domestically is with a basketball player mm-hmm. because of the global impact. Like Mike Trout is obviously an incredible player. Otani's an incredible player, but it's it, nowhere near this. Depending on what con, <laughs> yeah, right. Like there, you, you're gonna go to like Vietnam or Thailand, like, and those guys walk down the street. Maybe they're recognized, but like Messi. Any country in the world, yeah. generally speaking, yeah. you know what the who the guy is. It's over. Uh, other than Antarctica, and I, I'll be shocked if Antarctica now with streaming, they notice him. All right. Oh yeah. So I have two last things for you. Um, realistically, um, and you would know this probably as good as anybody. Like, 
what is realistic about like Inter playing some kind of exos against some of the world's most famous teams now that Messi's here? Like, is it possible in 2024? I'm making this up, okay? Man City comes to Chicago to play Inter in some kind of uh, 80,000 stadium exo? Yeah, uh, it's going to be difficult with Euros Copa America 2024, but to your point, uh, I think Copa Libertadores, which is extremely difficult for a North American team to partake in the Champions League of South America, but now this is messy. So now does that conversation happen? Richard, all these conversations are going to happen. Summer friendlies, though, historically, even back when I played, we still did one or two a summer. And so now it depends on the schedule, depends on if he's around. But I would be stunned if you don't see a Man City versus Inter-Miami. I'd be stunned if you don't see a Barcelona versus Inter-Miami to celebrate Messi. I would be stunned if that doesn't happen. And if that happens, you got to put that in a 120,000-seat stadium. Go to the big house. Go somewhere where that thing's going to be maximized and the spectacle is going to be what it is. And if I'm Apple, honestly, that's the one where I try to work with like some major no network doubt. to put that on, you know, over CBS or over the air, whatever it is. Last one. Um, I, I, I like many Americans, I, I fell in love with the Wrexham story. Uh, like, it, yep. I get it. Like, there's hardcore soccer fans who call you Mark, like in wrestling. Oh, you're such a Mark. Like, all right, I get it. <laughs> Reality still is like the fact is they got me interested in National League football, which is incredible. Yep. And if you watched yep. like the Knots game, I don't know how you can't be a fan of sports and not have like appreciated like the drama of that game, like Knott's oh, County. Yeah. So, you know, again, we're we're still dealing with low level soccer, but I just wanted to get your impression of this. The fact that like, and again, I get the celebrity on me. You got two very, very famous Hollywood guys who came in, but in some ways, Taylor, it's almost a miracle. They got hundreds of thousands, if not millions of Americans oh, yeah. to be interested in a national league team incredible to me it's amazing it's a, first off anyone that has these kinds of conversations richard about ted lasso and Wrexham and shoots them down there is an insecurity there that I, it really bothers me it's it is good for the sport it is great drama there doesn't mean you don't like the united states it doesn't mean you don't believe in mls or the national all of these kinds of conversations it's exhausting if you're not enthralled in the story of what Wrexham was, then you don't have a pulse. Then you don't understand what sports is. Listen, did it help that the movie deals and what where the show was was owned by Disney? And so ESPN helped take that to another level. Richard, I was there for 13 plus years. We didn't talk about <laughs> National League until Wrexham. And then they own the series. That's okay. That's part of the marriage and the synergy that helped make it bigger. That's what Ted Lasso did with the Premier League commercials. It's all fine and well. The story behind Wrexham and what that turns into is amazing. And you know what the best part's going to be? Season three. When they couldn't afford to keep all those players and now they go promote it up. And then they struggle because guess why, Richard? That's going to tell you how difficult it is and the proposition of growing from where they were all the way to the championship or to the Premier League. You're talking a David versus Goliath, a 1980s gold medal game, U.S. It's all of that stuff into one. Leicester City winning, this is maybe bigger than that. If they get all the way up there, it's going to be difficult. And that's why season three, I think, is going to be even better because people are going to get the real – nuts and bolts about how difficult this really is yeah to me 
uh, having watched a lot of these. The best part of Wrexham or the Wrexham doc isn't the Paul Mullins and Ben Foster's and the people who played. It's the people in the town because you get an, yes. a, a sense of how much it means to them. And the best doc I had seen on this, and it, it, by the way, it is better than Welcome to Wrexham, which is a great doc, is Sunderland Till I Die. Have you ever seen that? 1,000%. That, yes. that really explains to you the relationship between a town and, and a soccer club. And that um, Wrexham is that in just a much, much smaller unit. Much like smaller, but Sunder Sunderland, Sunderland Till I Die tells you. That tells you everything about the English soccer system and what it means to people. Yeah, and it's translated around the world, right? We naturally, because of the English and what we are, we're always, we just kind of look at the Premier League and what it is. But the Bundesliga, I played in it 1999. It was the, the and that was in Munich. It shut down on our game days. And you couldn't even go grocery shopping. Game was at three o'clock. Guess what? The grocery store had closed at one o'clock. So it's just stuff like that. More money's made for people, the higher leagues they are in. That's a fact. That's not an opinion. And so that's why the city is so enthralled with it. But Richard, the other aspect to this, and people don't get it in the United States. I live in Boston. It'd be like Boston playing Cambridge. That's what it's like. Like people don't get like, it's literally right there. You're not talking about Yankees, Red Sox, a three and a half hour drive. You're talking literally five minutes across the road. Cambridge is trying to knock your head off to get promoted, to get up a league and then you've got fans within five minutes of each other in the neighborhood that hate each other based on their club affiliation. That's real. That takes hundreds of years to build. That's what it is. But the Sunderland till I die, I'm with you. I think it's a better doc because it's less movie star driven. And I'm not saying Ryan Reynolds doesn't drive this and it's awesome. I'm not saying that. But Sunderland till I die was more of a documentary of really what it means to Sunderland and all their supporters. 100%. By the way, speaking of the Bundesliga, I watched that last day. Dortmund. Uh, oh, my Lord. Oh, my God. What a, what a missed op for, for those guys. Great, well, great, dude, that's great final be, game. Though. Honestly, Richard, that, that's got Red Sox 86 years written all over it. it. Like People 10 years, 15 years, 20 years down the road are going, you remember when we had the chance? And then I you're know. like, oh, no, we're still talking about this? I know. I mean, listen, Byron's incredible. They're obviously one of the world's uh, superstars. Yeah, but they should but have would, not they should, won that. I'm I sorry. agree. It just would have been nice for them to have been taking the L. Agreed. <laughs> All right, listen, catch Taylor Twelman on um, on MLS Season Pass subscription. Obviously, Apple, Apple slash MLS now is where you get all your uh, – MLS games and content. Um, if you are on the, uh, just the functionality of that is incredible. Uh, you know, between toggling, between different games, between all the stuff that yep. Apple has done pregame. I mean, it's an, it really is an unbelievable. I mean, Richard, experience. honestly, to put a bow on yeah. it, the NBA is looking at it very curious. They should. Right? Because yeah. when you, if you're a fan of Toronto or you're a fan of LAFC, you can literally manipulate your regurgitation of the content. It's set up perfectly for you. Press conferences, all that. It's very interesting what they've done in year one, and I'm excited to see where it is in year yeah. 10. Taylor, I mean, it's a different topic. There is no doubt in my mind that either Amazon or Apple will have a piece of the NBA. It'll just be the yeah. question of which streamer, and the NBA has to go that way because... They oh, have to. They have to. One, it's going to be a lot of money for them, but two, they need to see what the sort of the future of the sport could look like, and those are would be the two companies that would sort of have a shot at doing that. Uh, listen, Taylor, thank you, man. I'm really excited. Uh, the second I saw Messi, that Messi move, I wanted to talk to you because like, I remembered our conversation and, uh, I just remember how all 
uh, the three of you how excited you were. But we were talking about it in hypotheticals, and then yes, it became we were a, too. <laughs> and then it became a reality. So uh, your your timing here is impeccable. Um, I'll have Great you hearing back. your voice, dude. Yeah, I'll have you back on uh, at some point uh, to talk about this stuff. But thanks for joining me today on the Sports Media Podcast. Be good, man. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. All right, let me bring in my next guest who, uh, if you follow me on Twitter, you know that I have immense respect for this gentleman. It is John Lewis, the founder and editor of Sports Media Watch. Again, if you're into sports viewership, it, it essentially is, um, it should be like in your bloodstream, this site. There's really, there are many sites that do sports viewership, but I don't think there's anybody in the country who sort of dedicates more of his time uh, on a daily basis to chronicling sports viewership. And with that, very pleased to be joined once again by John Lewis. Welcome back to the Sports Media Podcast. And thanks for the kind words and uh, thanks for having me. Of course. All right, let's start. We're going to do uh, we'll do like a, it's like radio talk here, John. We're going to put a bow on the Stanley Cup final as well as the NBA finals. We'll start with hockey first. Um, I think for both of us who follow and write about this, there was going to be no surprise that the viewership of this year's Stanley Cup final, given that it was all on cable and given that we're dealing with two small media markets, was going to be down from last year, which did get a little bit of a pop from having you know a couple games on ABC. The real question to me was going to be, okay, how much was it down? And as we learned, um, this year's Stanley Cup final was down 43% versus last year so that's where i want to sort of start with you what are your overall sort of impressions from the numbers that you saw with the stanley cup final well they weren't great numbers but you also have to keep in mind last year all the games were on abc that was the first ever cup final wow okay my mistake thank you for correcting me so all the games were on abc yeah so i I don't think the year over year decline is the biggest eye-opener here i think the problem for the nhl is you know, 2.6 million, that's just not a very good number. You go back in the bubble, that was 2.1 million. And then the year after, when it was going into July and you had Tampa Bay versus Montreal, that was 2.5. So you don't want to be in that range. And if you look back the previous decade or so, the cup final was consistently 4 million, 5 million. In a bad year, it might be 3 million. 2.6 million just is not a good number. I think the combination of things, Vegas, Florida was not a great matchup. You have all the games on cable for the first time since 1994. And beyond the fact that it wasn't a great matchup on paper, Vegas, Florida wasn't entertaining on the ice. Vegas was just pummeling Florida in a way that we don't typically see in the cup final. These are 30 point blowouts if it's the NBA. You know, a a six goal lead is a 30 point lead. Uh, in, in basketball. So these were just ugly games, not particularly interesting. It's not a surprise the numbers are down, but I think if you're the NHL, you don't want to be in this range for a cup final, no matter the circumstances. Yeah. I mean, the interesting thing to me is, you know, and I saw your chart on Stanley Cup finals viewership is, um, you know, like kind of what, like, what is, what is, for lack of a better word, like what is the what can be or should be the the average viewership on this? Because if you go into the late 
uh, decade of the 2000s, you got Detroit and Chicago driving viewership. And those Stanley Cup finals were, you know, between 4.5 million, 5.2 million average. You got the real pop 2013, 2015, thanks to the Blackhawks. You know, Chicago is a great hockey market um, when they played Boston. So that's two great hockey markets in 2013. That series averaged 5.8 million win six games like that feels like you know that that's an outlier series in the same way like you know whatever Celtics Lakers could be an outlier series so do you have a sense of like like for me and this is just pure guesswork on my part it does feel like to me in today's universe that we're kind of looking at a base of something like three million and then maybe it pops up a little bit in good years and maybe it pops down a little bit in bad years that's my read on how many people by and large are interested in the Stanley Cup final nationally. How do you see it? Well, I think those are great points. The reality of the matter is that hockey got a lot of great matchups from 2008 to 2019. Got Detroit, as you said, Chicago, Boston, even the LA Kings against New York. Both years, I mean, granted, the first one was New Jersey, but still LA versus New York market. Uh, Pittsburgh going back to back. Washington and Pittsburgh winning three years in a row. Crosby or Ovechkin. A lot of really good stuff happened for the NHL in that period of time. That's not going to be easy to duplicate. So can you use those years as a baseline for what we can expect going forward? That's probably not you know, the fair way to do it. But what do you really use as a base? We're going all the way back to you know, the early 2000s, a completely different era of TV. I don't think you can do that either. I think if you're the NHL, what you really want is in a cable year, somewhere in the 3.5 to 3.9 million range, right? That's, you know, on the higher end of what NBCSN was getting uh, for their two cup final games a year. And remember, you know, NBCSN, they only had games two and three a lot of those years or games one and two, sometimes three and four. You know, TNT, they're getting one, two, three, four, five, six, seven if it happens, you know, so you, you would expect the cable average to be higher, uh, uh, than it was in the NBCSN days. So I think 3.5 to 3.9 million in the cable years. And then last year's number, I think, I think Gary Bettman will be perfectly pleased if last year's numbers, 4.6 million for Colorado, Tampa are repeated in every year of the ABC era. My, I mean, the, so the real truth to all of this is just that we're dealing with a regional sport, like at the end of the day, like it does, it does have national interests if things align, but it's always going to be, I think, hard for the NHL to get past a certain number. And I don't really think there's a solution to that. The one thing that the NHL did, I'm not even sure I blame them, John, is they, you know, they decided to partner up with a, with a company that primarily has uh cable distribution, right? I mean, we'll see what Warner Brothers Discovery does with like HBO Max in that world in the future. So, you know, there could be a streaming element, et cetera. But like, you know, they they, they made that decision that they were going to go with one partner that can give you free-to-air distribution with ABC. And then they were going with another partner where they have to just live with sacrificing viewers. Um, I don't think that's a great growth strategy long-term, but I think also that they had to get the money when they had to get the money. And so I think you just, you know, in some ways you just, you have to live with the fact that sort of this is, you know, this is your sports number. I guess my only thought, and I don't, you know, again, and I, I live in Toronto, so obviously I'm in the mecca of hockey here. 
My one sort of thought, and I don't know if this would be the case, is do you think a Gretzky-like figure coming around like could game-change all this? Like, You know what I'm saying? Like a LeBron or Tiger type to come into the league and... I don't know. You somehow attract, you know, three or four million extra people just because this is a transcendent figure. Well, perhaps, but he can't go to Edmonton. You know what I mean? So Correct. Yeah, that, right. that kind of already happened. And you end up with that great player in Edmonton and Edmonton kind of being like the Anaheim Angels and and never really advancing far in the playoffs. So, yeah, if Connor Bedard were to pan out in Chicago. In Chicago. Right. Yep. And, you know, every year they're making it deep into the playoffs. I mean, that would be amazing for, for the league. That would be, you know, a, a real shot in the arm if they could actually get a young star in you know, this wonderkind, right? He's only 17 years old. He was born five days before the lockout ended in 2004-05, right? So if he can become that big star in that market, a market that proved that it is as big a hockey market as there is in the country back in the 2010s, I mean, then there's no question that the NHL will be in much better shape. All right. The uh, the NBA finals um, have come in, and the, uh, the Heat Nuggets final game did uh, 13, a little over 13 million viewers. I think I have, if I have that right, right? It beat... The final game five beat the Warrior Celtics game five from the previous year. Am I correct about yeah, that? You are correct. Okay. What I don't have it here. I should. What was the final average for the NBA Finals? The exact number. That was eleven point eight four million, or excuse me, eleven point six four million uh, for the five games. Okay. So again, there's a lot of ways to look at this. the 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 first thing, or the first one that I would look at, would be that. I think if you were going to ask the NBA prior to this series, would you? How would you feel about you know eleven eleven six as an average? I think they would have been beyond overjoyed. Oh yeah. Um, I happen to think, and I, I, I put this out there. I, I thought that the series would do better than conventional wisdom because I think that um, people are sort of. I think a lot of casual basketball fans are kind of fascinated by the Nuggets. Uh, because of obviously they have the uh, multi multi time MVP, they know how many games that they've won, and they don't get to see them. And I thought so. My my thought was that they may be more attractive than um, than you might think. And then I also thought that there might be just some people like who, because of the momentum play, because how great the NBA postseason has been in terms of a viewership play. I just thought momentum might carry over. And that would be sort of more of the determining factor than if you just sat down and you're like, okay, these are two small markets, relatively speaking, in the NBA. Miami's never been a great viewership team. Denver has no, um, you know, no NBA finals tradition. So again, like, yeah, do, would you want 15 million, like, uh, you know, for like in 2014 or something like that? Of course. But like, I feel like to me, it's a good number for the NBA given what um, the two teams were, given it was only five games. And I think if you're them, you're like, hey, you know what? Great. We're, we're happy and we move on. How did you see it? Well, I think that's exactly correct. I mean, obviously, given the matchup, I would have expected fewer than 10 million for this series. I thought it would be short. 
So I wasn't surprised it was four. You're thinking a sweep, right? Well, not even. I, I mean, I was thinking five games. I thought Miami would probably get okay. one in Miami, uh, more of a gentleman's sweep game four or something. But, uh, <laughs> right. you know, to me, to be that close to last year, to have any game of this series surpass last year, it was really stunning because when the numbers came in last year, because it was Golden State Boston and because you're coming off of the two COVID years, the thought is, okay. So this is where the NBA is going to be maxing out now is 11 and 12 million because there's no matchup better than this. Well, there's a few better than this, but it's one of the top matchups the league could have. Come back a year later, they get probably one of the matchups that they would have at the start of the playoffs said, no way do we want this. And you get basically the same numbers. So that tells me, you know, you get a better series next year, even between these same two teams, if it's more competitive you could get better numbers and keep growing your audience back to where it was. But when we talk about the NBA, it's a very interesting thing because the numbers are what they are. This was the lowest rated NBA finals outside of COVID on record. It was a 6.1 average rating, the lowest outside of COVID on record, right? But here's the interesting thing, the share, right? So let me uh, get my, my numbers in front of me. The share was an 18, which is the same as Raptors Warriors in 2019, right? It's higher than Spurs Heat in 2014. So Spurs Heat in 2014 was a 9.3 rating and a 16 share. This year was a 6.1 rating and an 18 share. That's because obviously linear TV that people just are not watching. Uh, let me, uh, for those who don't follow the ratings closely, the rating uh, is the percentage of TV homes watching out of the total TV universe. The share is the percentage of homes watching out of the uh, homes with TVs in use or people who are watching linear TV. So as fewer and fewer people watch linear TV, the NBA, despite the ratings being so low, is still getting the same share of the audience that it ever was. Now, you know, how meaningful is that? Obviously, I don't think you can say, hey, the NBA is exactly as popular as it was. I mean, the fact of the matter is it isn't. But I, I do think that the record low rating aspect or the lowest rated finals, least watched finals in X amount of years is mitigated by the fact that a lot of people are not watching linear TV anymore. Yeah. And again, the, what, what is very clear, and this is why these guys are going to get a nice increase, is that there are companies, John, that their entire sort of ecosystem, their business plan is live, right? Yeah. And in particular, live sports. And there just are not many other properties between inventory and viewership that can give you a big, and global reach that can give you a bigger pop than the NBA. Obviously, the NFL is, but nothing compares to the NFL. Right. Um, you know, college football is a great property, um, but it doesn't have the kind of postseason inventory the NBA does. It has its national championship semifinal and final, which is awesome. But, you know, bowl games are sort of what they are and matchup determined, but they're only one game. They're not inventoried like best of seven right. or so. The the thing when I look at the NBA viewership, I forget about the Jordan era. It, it's just the people who sort of compare viewership to the Jordan era are just, they don't really know what they're talking about. It'd be like me saying baseball has lost all its fans because the 1975 All-Star game drew 39 right. million people, right? And today it draws seven. So that's it. Baseball has lost all. It's just, it's, you, you might as well compare like um, the moon landing in 1969 to something today. It just, it makes no sense. What is interesting to me about the NBA 
is the era of, let's say, 2005 to 2009. Because those numbers, John, 12.5 million average, 13 million average, 9 million average, 14 million average. The NBA is not so far away from that. And then obviously it seems to me you have the LeBron era, right? I don't know if you want to – I think that would be the – the way I would use that. I, I know he wasn't in the Lakers-Boston 2010 NBA Finals, which kind of was the first big jump for the NBA. Right. But I still feel like that's sort of the LeBron era in the way sort of the Tiger impact on stuff. So the real question to me is like, can they get back to that 2005-2009 kind of NBA Finals viewership? I, I don't know if they're... I, I, I think unless somebody becomes the next LeBron... I don't, or the next Steph Curry, I should say too. I, I don't know if we're seeing the numbers that we saw at the height of the Golden State no. uh, kind of uh, Cleveland stuff, but I, I think the other numbers are possible. Um, then again, as you said, less people watching linear, declining cable universe. So I don't know, but like that's the interesting chart to me on the NBA is that you know what I mean. That yeah. little stretch before the LeBron stretch is interesting to me. Yeah, I mean that was yeah, a lot of Spurs. You know, uh, yes, and, right. and those those mid two thousand Spurs people were not tuning in for them. I think there's no doubt the NBA is a stronger TV draw now than than, than in those days. Just from the simple fact, you know, eleven point six million viewers in two thousand and twenty three is a heck of a lot more than it would have been in two thousand three. When, by the way, the finals averaged like nine million viewers, right? So right. uh, that was uh, that was uh, in the Nets, yeah. if I remember that Nets team. First right Nets, and that, I mean nine point nine million in two thousand three is disastrous. I would say that's even worse than 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 the bubble, the COVID years. Yeah, I would agree. So you know, uh, the reality of the matter is, the, as far as the NBA getting back to where it was in that stretch, I think that's doable. I, I mean, I don't see any reason why the finals shouldn't get back to thirteen million or so assuming that you get a better matchup than what the league had this year. I would say there is one place where the the ratings do compare to the Jordan era, uh, believe it or not, and that would get back to the share. Now, not the share of the overall audience, because that's still not at that level. Those Jordan era finals were getting 30 shares, you know, a 33 share on average in 93 and 98. But if you look at those younger demos, 18 to 49, Game five of the finals this year had a four rating in 18 to 49, and that was 36% of 18 to 49-year-olds watching TV. So a 36 share. And you go back to game two of the 1998 NBA finals, that game had an 11.6 rating in 18 to 49, just dramatically higher. And that was a 36 share of that demo, right? So that tells you just how dramatically viewership has declined in that demo in terms of how many people in that demo are actually watching TV, because 4% of the demo equals 36% today, and 12% equal 36%, you know, 25 years ago. Yeah, I mean, the one that I mean, I think both of us know this, the one thing every sport has, uh, has has really has to watch, and maybe the NFL is the only thing immune to this, and I put it under maybe, but you talk to anybody under 25, and I don't want to, I shouldn't be so generic. Many people under 25, the notion of them sitting down to watch a two hour uh, sporting event is like insane for them. You know what I mean? Like they are, they are okay with just getting the highlights in whatever form they want to get highlights, 
either in real time on some social media site or like the next day. And so not to mention, there's a ton of people who'd rather just play the video game of it. But like, that's to me, like the real sort of interesting thing here is that like, does that 25 year old woman or man who's not really into watching games full in full, do they, does that change when they're 40 or have you, are you, or are you educating an entire generation of viewers into essentially sh- kind of short bites of the the event as opposed to sitting down and and watching and then of course that has ramifications in terms of media and ad buying and just how you'd sell all this stuff. well yeah i mean the reality is beyond anything else one a lot of young people are illegally streaming events they are open about it they didn't grow up with napster they didn't grow up with people getting arrested in their dorms for listening to music so they are completely shameless and you know you can ask them in a college classroom as i've done repeatedly and they'll all raise their hands basically and say yeah yeah or they have their parents same with me they all they have their or they're just swipe their parents uh right. password right and but i mean of course if they are swiping their parents password at least they're still in the actual ecosystem correct yeah yep. so uh, the reality of the matter is that uh the legal streaming obviously a lot of time is being spent on tiktok uh you know i've surveyed students before and it's like you know the number of hours spent on TikTok is is bizarre, right? So, you know, that is a big problem for live sports. And again, just the simple fact that these small ratings in these young demos account for such a big part of the audience that's actually watching TV. It just tells you that young people, and remember 18 to 49, you know, that's a demo that includes people who are not on TikTok. It includes people who are, you know, 30 to 49. So you can help. Although there are 30 to 40 year olds well, on TikTok. But yeah, I know what yeah, you're saying. Yeah. But, you know, less likely to be on those, more likely to have grown up with a regular four by three TV sitting down appointment viewing of Seinfeld every Thursday night. Right. Uh, and so you can only imagine some of the shares I've seen in 18 to 34 are I, I think game two of the finals had a 45 share in 18 to 34 right and so that tells you a lot about where things are going and as long as things are going in that direction you're not going to get the kind of viewership i mean obviously from the jordan era or from the lebron versus steph era or even from you know the the heatles era where they played four straight finals and you know, the opponents were that weren't that high profile. So those numbers don't look quite as good in comparison. It's going to be really hard for the NBA to build back those kinds of audiences. But again, I would say this, I'd rather be them than many other properties because they at least do have of, of the declining share, let's say of 18 to 35, 18 to 49, they have a very, they're, they're near the top in terms of the major sports on that. And so you know what I mean? They are more, and but I'm not. Not this is not the shit on baseball or some other sport doesn't have that. But like they're in an advantageous position if they go into a boardroom to try to talk to Amazon or Apple or uh, I don't even forget about Disney, ESPN because ESPN is absolutely going to resign with the NBA. I mean that just like doesn't take a genius to figure that one out. But you know what I'm saying, right. John? Like they at least do have a Adam Silver's got a great sell at least in that they do have great demos. Um, they could also point to social media. And all the um, people, young people who follow them on that stuff. So um, it's interesting. Like I'm, I'm kind of, I'm really curious. Like the NBA final story is like really interesting to me 
five years from now, mm-hmm. when Le- presuming LeBron and Steph are gone, and whoever the new stars, the new stars have emerged, it'll be really interesting to see what those numbers are. Um, then you know, like I, I you know, um, if this, if this, um, you know. This guy who they think, you know, may be the great, the next great um, player in the league, the best prospect coming into the league um, uh, since LeBron had Wimbaye gone to, I don't know, Chicago or New York or something like that. It would have been interesting. Like, uh, you know, in San Antonio, which again, great, great basketball town, but the market is what it is in terms of size. Um, So we'll see. I mean, again, like the one thing about the NBA is like, and maybe this is the same for all sports, it's like new stars always emerge. Like it's the one thing you sure of. Well, no guarantees, though. I mean, the NBA and the Well, I, I, no guarantees that there's the next LeBron right. or Kobe, but there'll always be True. stars. You know, I mean, even like in the, you know, even in the, the when Jordan left, like Patrick Ewing was a star. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. But, you know, the, the, the kind of star that moves the needle in the way the league has had, it, it's going to be hard to duplicate. Uh, I agree. Yeah. I mean, there are, there are stars and then there's LeBron, Steph, right? Yeah. Tiger Woods, Messi, yeah. et cetera. Passion drive and patience what brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive ebay motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers roof racks exhaust kits led headlights and more whether you're into speed power or style ebay motors has got you covered with over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die you'll always find exactly what you're looking for and with ebay guaranteed fit your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right. And this is speaking of Messi, who we'll finish up on. All right. What, do, you, what, do you have some sort of broad thoughts on just Messi coming to MLS and what that might mean, you know, both of us know that Apple doesn't release the number of subscriptions it sold for their soccer right. package. We have no Nielsen data on like how many people are watching this stuff. I think conventional wisdom would tell you that like obviously Messi coming here, those both those numbers are going to go up and particularly like global numbers for sure. I, I do think there'll be people in Spain or Argentina or Paris or whatever who are going to really be curious about watching Messi and if the price is right, they'd be willing to pay. Um, so it's interesting. I, I find this story particularly interesting because I think it has a lot of media yeah. components to it. Well, I mean, it's just tough. Like I said, uh, the last time I was on, you know, I mean, we've seen this before with uh, David Beckham and the impact was real. MLS got great numbers. And in 2007, right, you know, not not uh, some kind of uh, uh, great year overall for the league. Uh, but it's just hard to really imagine that it's going to be dramatically different than that. I think the problem for MLS is the perception that these stars come over here at the end of their careers, you know, and and they're not necessarily playing for the important things they were playing for before. They're coming for, hey, let me just do this, get some good money, play in America, et cetera, et cetera. Now, maybe that's different this time, but I, I do feel like all of the examples from the past, you know, Zlatan, for example, even, it just kind of comes down to, we know these aren't the big games. It's a little bit like Jordan with the Wizards, right? We know these aren't the big games where this is not the prime of this person's career, and this is not 
you know, going to necessarily make MLS, even in this country, the equal of the Premier League or certainly Liga MX. Yeah, I um how do I sort of say this? Yeah, I mean, there's no argument. Like, the, this isn't Messi playing for Argentina in the World Cup. It's not Messi playing in the Champions League or whatever. Um, that said, I do think MLS. I think MLS has a great opportunity to make, or at least to try to make every one of his games an event. That to me is how they should approach this. It's almost like uh, it's almost like what NASCAR and Formula One try to do, where they make each of these races feel like an event rather than just a like a game whether that can be done john like you know uh inter miami versus like uh toronto fc on like some random saturday i don't know but like that that to me is the uh is the challenge all right is there anything else uh that's on your mind before we get out of here that you're just like you're dying to get off of sports media tape? uh not necessarily you know things are going to get slow now now that the nba and nhl are over and uh, uh that's kind of necessary i think for a lot of people who've been covering these things for the last two months but i will say softball and baseball interest me softball obviously had uh, a good finish uh you know, and, and I think baseball seems to be uh, pretty strong, too. These are two sports that don't get talked about. They don't get the same numbers, obviously, as football or men's basketball or even the women's tournament has consistently outdrawn these two as well. But the fact is, you know, people talk about spinning off the women's tournament and, and getting its own rights deal. I think that's obviously necessary and, and should happen. I think you pair softball and baseball together, too. There's a lot of value to these like ESPN. You know, I mean, what are you going to air this time of year if you're ESPN that's going to do better than the the men's college World Series will starting tomorrow, Friday? So uh, if I'm Fox, for example, I might want to kick the tires on that. And uh, I would also mention, too, just ended last weekend, the French Open. Uh, the coverage of the French Open is uh, is definitely problematic. That's getting to the end of its deal. And uh, NBC can't keep airing it the way that they have. I'd look into that if I was, you know, certainly Fox, which, you know, has a lot of... No, no history of tennis. No history of tennis, None. but uh, they didn't have a history of horse racing either, as we saw last weekend at the Belmont. <laughs> yeah, we didn't even get... I, I, I was going to get into that with you, but like, I, I don't know. I just feel like nobody wants yeah. to talk about the Belmont uh, anymore like a week later, but, um, you know, they'll improve on their next one. They could fix, obviously fix right. their audio. But do you think... I mean, as a... as a Because you just got me thinking real quick before we get out of here. As a broad kind of thing, do you... How much do you value like a company having experience in a sport before oh, getting... a lot. I mean, just... Do you know what I mean? Like, like I do think the one thing, like I think obviously Fox does, you know, NFL game production exceptionally well. Um, you know, they do NASCAR exceptionally well. But when they when they took the golf thing over, it was yeah. a mess that first year. You know what I mean? They had no um, experience in it the way like CBS does. And that, you know, as someone who's a tennis fan and really cares about the sport, um, yeah, that that's just sort of interesting to me is like, can a network like create a new infrastructure if they've never even done like small tournaments. Yes, yeah, no, you're completely correct. It takes a while to get it right. You look at the NBA and the ESPN and they went with Brad Nessler year one, Al Michaels the next two years. It took them four years to get to Mike Green, right? And a lot of that coverage was kind of uh, very messy those first few years. And obviously you mentioned the US Open. I mean, the US Open being back at NBC is just so important because it never felt right on Fox. It never felt like it made any sense for that to be on Fox. I agree. I agree. Yeah. It, 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 um, 
But you know what though? Like it, it is. It, it like the, the the great thing about sports and like what we write about and stuff is like things do change. Like I, when uh, you know, I think we're close to around the same age. Like you know, growing up, like tennis was on the USA yeah. Network. You know what I mean? At night, like the U.S. Open. Like that was a big part of just like watching like the U.S. Open, and then all of a sudden it shifted to ESPN. Right? It was on CBS. Mm-hmm. For how many years? It was like CBS was the home of the U.S. Open. You hear like Pat Summerall's voice and Tony Trabert and all that. And now, like, you know, the U.S. Open tennis is is exclusively an ESPN yeah. property. And so um, so things do change. But, yeah, like the – if you miss, it feels like you miss bad. And I always thought, like, the golf on Fox was a was a big miss. Um, I, I, I think the Belmont Stakes coverage, which I watched in its entirety, was was mixed – but I think they'll eventually figure it out. Like that doesn't feel as that didn't feel to me as big a miss as the uh, as the guy. Yeah, I mean, definitely not. I mean, Joe Buck gets a lot of criticism. A lot of it's really unfair. But like, just thinking about Joe Buck on the U.S. Open, I mean, it just doesn't even seem like he ever really did that event. Yeah, although he loves golf, and I, you know, I think he did work hard on it. But I, but I hear you. Um, all right, John Lewis is the founder and editor of sports media watch check out uh his work on that site obviously you can follow him at twitter john you want to give your twitter handle yeah paulson underscore smw why the underscore did you was there not a did did you made that decision at a certain point well you know i did that when i was 20 years old you know (laughs) it is what it is right so uh yeah i love the people who like were first on twitter and got like you know like at john you know or at like at like well i guess at jack would be the yeah. obvious one given that the, he was the founder but yeah it's you know going way back there uh maybe john one day you'll come on we'll just do an entire segment on twitter and its, and its future and couldn't make it all right john lewis uh thank you we'll certainly have you back on either as a soloist or uh with uh, some of the other uh knuckleheads who, who come on this podcast to uh, chat about sports media thank you so much hey no problem thank you All right, back in the studio, my thanks to Taylor Twelman and John Lewis for their insights. Uh, head to the archives if you like these conversations. Last one, no soccer-related one, CBS Champions League host Kate Abdo. Um, she was great and uh, discussed uh, her becoming exclusive to CBS and why her show uh, has become uh, such a good studio show. Did... Um, a uh, PGA Tour Live Golf uh, show with uh, Kevin Van Valkenburg, editorial director of No Laying Up and Chad Mum, the executive producer of Full Swing. Did some women's softball on this podcast with Beth Mullins and Michelle Smith. Tennis, Caitlin Thompson, co-founder of Racket, was on this podcast early June. Jeff Van Gundy, prior to the NBA Finals, talking about uh, his work. Again, um, all sorts of stuff in the archives, hopefully, uh, You'll go back and listen if you uh, had not checked it out before. And if you do like it, please leave us a five-star review and a nice note. That's how this podcast continues. I want to thank Patrick Antonetti for all his hard work. Thank you to everybody at Odyssey. We will see you soon 